Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the IoT for All podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon, and I am joined today by Shannon Lee as my co-host. Our guest today is Michael Murray, the Senior Vice President and GM of Cyber Physical Systems at Black Ridge Technology. Michael leads the Cyber Physical Systems team in industrial IoT and industrial control systems ecosystem business within Black Ridge Technology. He has a history of development of sensors to cloud systems, starting with the semiconductor sensor itself. Michael has 20 years of development experience focused on creating high pedigree, accurate, and resilient conversations from the physical to digital ecosystems. To give you a little background on Blackridge, Blackridge develops, markets, and supports a family of products that provide a next-generation cybersecurity solution for protecting enterprise networks and cloud services. This was actually a really interesting episode for me personally, just because I'm not the, I don't know the most about cybersecurity. Um, so needless to say, we focused on that for the duration of the podcast, and I promise it's really, really interesting to listen to. Um, to kind of break down the episode a little bit further, we talk about a lot of different things, answer a lot of interesting questions. Some of those questions are, how has the IoT industry evolved in Michael's 20 years of experience in the space? You know, he kind of started in the space before it was an acronym. Um, why is security oftentimes an afterthought for IoT deployments? Where should the responsibility of security be placed? Shall the manufacturer, on the consumer, a mix, etc.? How does Blackridge technology fit into the IoT security landscape? How does Blackridge's security approach differ from other cybersecurity companies, which I thought was really interesting because they have a proactive versus a, a reactive approach, which um, we talk about pretty early on in this episode. Um, then we get into what is the term cyber physical security, not just cybersecurity, and that's where we start talking about safety um, in cybersecurity and how it relates, which is something that most people are not thinking too much about now. Um, then we get into how can consumers and enterprises in IoT protect themselves from cyber attacks. We break down IT versus OT, what the differences are and how they are connected. And then we kind of wrap up by Michael giving some advice for organizations looking to secure their new devices or their already deployed devices for any type of IoT deployment. Uh, I, so this episode I thought was fantastic. Um, Michael shed a lot of light on things that I never really thought about. And really put it into perspective, and in a way that I think is very easy for people to understand and really understand the you know the value of of security for IoT devices, and really what could happen if we kind of overlook that point. So, without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Michael Murray of Blackridge. Welcome, Technology. Michael, to the IoT for All show. How are things going on your end? I'm going very well. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you here. I'm joined by Shannon Lee, uh, my co-host. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, I think the best way to have this start out would be to give a little background and information about who you are to our audience, um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about, about Blackridge. Sure. Uh, so, thank you for having me. My name is Michael Murray. I'm the Senior Vice President and General Manager uh, at Blackridge uh, for what we call cyber physical uh, security. And um, so, a little bit about my background. Um, I actually come from the semiconductor world and had developed uh, analog to digital converters and sensors based off of MEMS uh, architectures and carbon nanotubes and things of that sort. And um, I started IoT before IoT was really a thing. Um, taking the analog to digital conversion, that's the start of the digital threat in IoT. So I, I began my career there and over time started to move towards uh, systems, systems of systems, then moving from sensor to cloud to sensor to sensor, machine to machine. And here we are now, um, you know, 20 years later, I can't believe it, that um, we're starting to talk about how machines and how people start to create authenticated identities between themselves 
and create a more infrastructure uh, and safe infrastructure for the Internet of Things. So I've kind of moved my career along over the last 20 years to uh, now really look at how we can secure the Internet of Things as opposed to just creating components within it. So uh, it's really interesting to be able to talk to you folks and and your listeners uh, about this today. So I'm curious, since you've been in this space for a while, you were in the space before it became an acronym. Um, did how did based? I guess if you take yourself back to when you first started getting involved in in you know pre IoT, um, how did it kind of evolve as far as like where we are now? Is it what you expected, or did it kind of go a different path? And if so, what was that kind of the path that it took versus the path you maybe expected back then, or, or kind of predicting? Yeah, I think it's it's a great question. And when I started in the industry, you know, factories were talking on four to twenty milliamp loops, and they still are, by the way. This old serial technology, this analog world that we've been, you know, saying is turned digital is still all analog, uh, predominantly analog. Uh, and over time, it's evolved because of things like competitiveness, mean time between failures, uh, condition based monitoring. It's really driven a global economy into IoT type of uh, marketplaces. And the reason why is just that efficiency. And that's been, to me, the biggest surprise is how quickly we've connected things, um, which uh, I think it's been great. It's been wonderful for the economy, wonderful for users and that richness of data that we're getting off of sensors that, you know, in my career we've, we've helped create. I think, though, one of the things that we didn't do and one of the things that I'm very surprised at is think about the consequences of connecting all of these devices and quite frankly, ourselves to the internet. And I think that's where, you know, joining Blackridge was really a thrust for me to, to see if I could figure this out with a company and with our partners and how to create more, you know, secure devices and, and ways that we can be more secure with our data ourselves uh, and our customers intellectual property. And, you know, I, I use the tagline a lot with great connectivity comes great responsibility. And that's been the thing that I've, I've been most surprised at is these major companies that are connecting IoT devices and their users haven't been responsible for them. And they haven't really done a good job, in my view, um, to educate their customers and what it means to be connected uh, to the Internet and what information is being shared and used. Do you think there's a reason that security kind of became an afterthought through this whole process? Yeah, uh, absolutely. There, it's... It's very much interesting when you start talking to companies that um, I'll use factor automation as a perfect example. Um, when they started connecting their devices, they never thought about an adversary trying to gain access to a factory floor, as an example, mm -hmm. or a grid substation or, you know, things like a, an oil and gas rig. Well, now what's happened because of the way that we wage war against other adversaries and more importantly, the way they wage war against us is that these devices that are connected are an easier target than our IT networking systems. And I use this term all the time. Actually, I stole from a gentleman by the name of Robert Lentz, Bob Lentz, who was a former CISO in the United States. Um, he uses a great term. It's economic asymmetry. And what I mean by that is it's much less costly or sophisticated to hack through an IoT appliance or device than it is an IT networking device. We spend millions of billions of dollars in connecting uh, and securing our IT networks, but rarely do we spend much more than a, a blink of an eye or a few cents on IoT security. And I think when I, I look at the marketplaces, um, each of those marketplaces like critical infrastructure or factory automation, they develop these products 
without the thought of how they could be used by an adversary to steal things like IP, as an example, or uh, create a line down situation uh, at an automotive company that has a geoeconomic issue uh, or a political issue that just never thought crossed their mind in the 90s and early 2000s that this would be you know, part of the way that um, our adversaries can attack us. And, and they're starting to learn that now. And uh, unfortunately, in the United States specifically, our infrastructure uh, is so old and so out of dated and woefully not secure that they're having a very tough time securing it, unfortunately. So when it comes to IoT devices, where do you put the responsibility on? Do you put the responsibility on the manufacturer or the company that's producing the the hardware or the IoT devices? Or are you putting this more on the, let's say, the consumer or the enterprise that's buying it and kind of needing to make sure that it's a requirement before they use it? I think it's got to evolve to, to be inclusive. Um, okay. Think about it as somewhat of a triangle. So you've got your supply chain on one side of the triangle. Uh, on the other side, you've got the uh, the actual firm that's supplying the connectivity and uh, data storage, as an example. And then at the top of that pyramid is you and I. Um, how do we use those devices? Um, where do we use them? How well educated are we uh, that we're using some of these devices in our homes and our businesses or, or manufacturing plants? So I, I see it as somewhat of a triangle that way. And it's it's really all of us that we need to ask the right questions, hold people accountable, hold firms accountable for our information and for the connectivity that they provide. Uh, there is a responsibility here and it's a shared responsibility that we need to take uh, as opposed to you know, pointing a finger across the table. Definitely. So how does Blackridge technology fit into all this? Uh, that's a great question. So one of the things that we, we focus on at Blackridge is we developed our technology for the army. And if you think about uh, connected soldier, they're no different than you or I. They may have a Fitbit, they have a radio, they have IP addresses swarming around them. But the unfortunate part is, again, we didn't think about how an adversary can use those IP addresses, that connectivity, if you will. On a battlefield, if you follow a connected soldier by doing port scans, which is kind of hacking 101, um, you can follow, find, track those IP addresses, even find out what kind of asset they are on a, a given battlefield. So. The Army came to Blackridge uh, during the Afghan war and, and they realized that our adversary had that capability uh, that they borrowed from another nation state. And um, essentially what we do is we change the narrative about how we connect to the internet. Now, I'm gonna pause on this for just a brief second. How the internet works between you and me, if we were two connections, you would knock on the door and I would automatically let you in and then I would verify whether or not you're you or someone else. Mm -hmm. The way that Blackridge is you knock on our door, you knock on that port, and we don't allow you in unless you've got our token. If you have our token, we'll let you in. Uh, that token is created at the first packet of a TCP IP session of the internet. So you can kind of think about us as being the caller ID of machines or the caller ID of uh, the internet of things. So you can choose whether or not you want to accept that call or not. If you accept it and you still don't like what you're seeing or hearing, you can do different things like micro-segmentation or segregation of of those, um, those packets or that uh, information thread that you're getting. So it's very dynamic, it's very adaptive for today's IoT. It just so happened that when I looked at the technology, um, I was looking at acquiring a couple of different um, semiconductor security companies. And we looked at the technology and it was interesting because what it does is it transports identity. So if you create an identity in a, in a phone or a PC or an IoT appliance like a PLC controller, 
um, you can actually take that identity through the network, resolve that identity anywhere in the network, uh, and make sure that it's talking to the right things it's supposed to be talking to and not talking uh, or doing anything else in the network that's nefarious, as an example. So that's where the technology came from. Uh, where we're taking it uh, is really focused in on critical infrastructure and energy and renewable grids, as an example, which are being um, definitely focused on uh, from our adversaries. Oil and gas, again, geoeconomical issues. And then lastly, healthcare. Um, which is a big opportunity for us and a lot of customers that we have currently are in the healthcare space. Just making sure that the identity of a patient uh, stays their identity and isn't stolen or, or used in different ways. So how does Blackridge's approach differ from other cybersecurity solutions out there for IoT? So the ones that I've seen that you know are quite good, they're all historical, meaning, hey, we've got all this data, we found out that there's been a problem, we've been breached, what happened? Um, that's a lot of the, the applications that I see, the more historical based, meaning, hey, we, we, we know we've got an issue, we know we're not secure, so we're gonna figure out what happened and then make sure that we remedy that situation very quickly, either through AI or machine learning algorithms or cloud-based uh, security protocols and, um, and what have you. The difference between us at Blackridge and those types of architectures, we stop the attack before it happens. So we don't let you in versus a lot of the uh, vendors that I see in the marketplace assume that you're already in and what they're doing is looking to figure out which doors they need to close and nail shut. Now, if you think about that same sort of adage, you've got a number of doors or gateways or access points into a network. They're all doors or windows, better yet, that you can see through into the environment. That's what IoT is. It's that visibility into the physical environment and getting that rich data and pulling that rich data up and doing something intelligent with it. The problem that these sensors create, and by the way, I was the one that created some of these things, is that windows are both ways, right? I can see you as much as you can see me, and I can go where you are if I can get through that little uh, sensor or, or system uh, into the network, and I can go wherever I need to go after that. But with Blackridge, you can't even see the sensor. You don't know it's there. So we stop the attack before it happens versus what I see a lot of suppliers doing in IoT specifically is, hey, we'll tell you after there's a problem. Well, on average, the average use case that we see specifically in oil and gas or uh, energy grid, better said, it's 60 to 90 to 180 days before you realize that you've had a breach. There's a lot of damage that individuals can do in that period of time. So with us, you can't see the door to knock through or the window to climb through. Um, therefore, you don't necessarily have that problem in the end. So Blackridge takes a much more proactive approach as opposed to a reactive approach. Just about to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that's better said than what I said, I think. That's no, I think yours is fantastic. <laughs> well, it's interesting just to hear that and put into those words because, you know, most, at least when you think about it on the surface, you'd be like, well, of course I want to protect myself before anything bad happens. But what we're learning through multiple discussions with people who are working in cybersecurity is that it seems like a common trend is let's wait until something happens to figure out how to fit, how to stop it because we can't protect ourselves from everything right away. So why even bother? And that's seems to kind of be like an ass backwards approach, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, I agree. And it, it drives me mad that a lot of firms take that approach until it's too late and it costs them multi-millions of dollars. But yeah. more importantly than dollars or the brand issues that it creates, it's you and I, our information, a lot of times that gets used and abused in those scenarios. Mm -hmm. So 
it's the end consumer that ultimately pays the price, but that is changing slowly. And the reason why I say it's changing and I'm confident in this is the big banks and insurance companies are starting to get involved. And when they get involved, change happens. When big money gets involved, usually things will start to progress. And what I mean by that is if you look at some of the insurance companies, they're creating cyber policies and cyber risk. So companies that have very few or limited or no uh, cyber strategies, they're going to be penalized from a standpoint of uh, a potential cyber risk event or cyber insurance. Moreover, the banks are going to start looking at your cyber profile and cyber hygiene and say, you know what, this loan that you want from this bank is going to cost you X plus two versus X because of your cyber risk profile. Now that that's coming through, I think things will start changing more quickly. At least that's my hope. Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of it's funny because I feel like we take the opposite approach in all other security related situations in our life. Like, let's not wait until it breaks into my house before I get a security system, you know, or same thing with cars or, or other equipment or things that we want to keep safe. Like, let's not wait until something's stolen before we get a safe to put it in. So it's very interesting that that in the technical landscape of things for such a long time, the approach has been the opposite, where let's wait until something for something to happen and then figure out how, what we need to do. Versus what you guys are doing, which is the more proactive approach, there seems to be more of a, of a common uh, common sense approach. Is there a reason why, like other reasons why you think companies have kind of not gone that proactive route and stayed more like retroactive? Is it like from a, is it a cost standpoint? Is it a you know time to market standpoint where security takes a while to kind of get put into place? Like what 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 could it? What do you think it is that's really causing or has caused that to happen in the past? No, I, th I think it's um, it's something that we studied greatly. And I came up with an advocacy for, for Blackridge to, instead of focus on tomorrow, focus on what happened 10 mm -hmm. years ago. And what I mean by that is 300 million connected endpoints here in the United States in our critical infrastructure. So I, I consider that water, energy, transportation, and telecommunication grids. So that's the problem. The capital expense for our nation to rip and replace all that equipment, which I'm sure equipment suppliers would love, we don't have the capital equipment expense or CapEx ability to do that. That's millions of billions of dollars, right? So fixing that problem is the government's number one issue. It's oil and gas number one issue. Factory automation's number one issue. You have to fix your current environment first before you can start thinking about new technologies or you know, bringing in new equipment that's more highly secure because it's kind of a domino effect. If you have one domino that's just bigger than the others, it's still gonna fall because the rest of the dominoes fall before it and after it. So, so creating that ability to have a brownfield, what we call brownfield or legacy installed security upgrade, whether it's in hardware or software is what Blackridge does. And, and we were very careful to, to strategize on how to do that, to make sure that you don't have to rip and replace your current infrastructure you can either lay over our software with what you currently have, or we created this device called TAC ID uh, that's a bump in the line that sits in between your device and the internet, um, and we resolve those identities later on. The reason we did those two things is exactly the reason why most companies are focused on you know, technologies that will secure you, you know, two, three years from now. You have to solve the current problem in, in the um, current environment and the legacy brownfield um, uh, marketplace first before you can do anything else um, second. So so that's why we placed ourselves in that side of the marketplace. 
uh, why we're seeing a lot of success in those markets as well. Um, I'd like to take a step back and you mentioned TAC, which is transport access control, if I'm correct. Um, you just correct. came out with news, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. Could you explain what TAC is and how you're using it? Yeah, so transport access control, uh, TAC, we have um, what we now call TAC ID, so uh, which is uh, an identity-based device. And what we're doing there is actually creating an identity, a unique identity for each of the IoT devices um, now that TAC ID device is an industrial grade device. Uh, we released TAC ID actually, uh, the commercial device uh, at uh, CES this year, uh, 2019. And we were named best of show, I think four different times for that device uh, because it's very simple in how it works. It creates that authenticated identity. It takes the adversary's ability to view it, see it or hack it off the network. Uh, and then we resolve that identity using our software either in a gateway or in a cloud environment virtually. Uh, which works with both Amazon Web Service and uh, Microsoft Azure. So, so we partnered with a company, PTC uh, ThingWorks. Uh, they're a company based in Boston here. Um, and I think they're one of the leaders, thought leaders in IoT. And uh, we're working with them to create that brownfield legacy environment for their customers to use our technology um, to create more secure authenticated identities in their, in their networks and then um, make sure that we're able to adapt for new security systems as they come out. But that's where we inject our tokenized identity um, and uh, we can either do it in software uh, or in hardware with our TAC ID module, which we just announced uh, an industrial version of. So there was something you mentioned early on before we kind of got into this part of the discussion. You said cyber physical security. Well, initially you said cyber security, but then you said cyber physical security. Is there a reason you, you throw the physical in there? Like what, what is that changing or is that just a term you guys kind of coined and are you know, using um, on your end? So it's two things. Um, firstly, cyber physical considers that there's a carbon-based human being somewhere in the loop. Um, okay. So the ability to take uh, my identity and my phone number, I'll use my phone number as a perfect example. I don't know about you, but I hate being robocalled. It happens to me all the time. So if you think for a moment, IoT hacking is like robocalling just either a device or a human being at the other end and seeing who picks up. So my phone number starts with 339, next few digits are 927, won't tell you the last four, but ultimately when I see 339, 927 call me around four o'clock every day, I know it's a robocaller. Machines yeah. don't robocalling is. Moreover, operators of those machines don't know what a robocall to a machine looks like either. So you've got a person that's in the loop here that will pick up that call through the machine accidentally. Now your adversaries in your network or the machine might pick it up and now your adversaries in the network. But one thing that you brought up earlier that I wanted to pause on, and this is very important. There's something called safety in IoT now that's starting to create its own narrative as an example, if I were to able, be able to penetrate a substation um, in rural Connecticut, as an example, and there's a, a lineman that's working to reconnect a new cable somewhere in that same grid, and they believe that the power is turned off, I am able to turn the power back on through that substation because it's connected to the internet and there's something called a programmable logic controller that controls that switch automatically or automatedly. If I flip that switch, that lineman does not come home to his family that night, period. Mm -hmm. So a narrative starting of, wait a second, is cybersecurity part of safety or is safety part of cybersecurity when you start thinking about critical infrastructure? And that's where the cyber physical comes into play. 
there's a human being that's going to touch this machine or touch this electrical wire. And that's something that's changing. As an example, there was a robot in uh, Japan, I believe, that was uh, hacked into. And just for fun, the adversary turned it right instead of turning left. Well, unfortunately, when it turned right, it turned into the path of a worker and that worker was injured. So there's now that narrative around safety in cyber physical that's, that's definitely uh, changing. Gotcha. That's great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was kind of curious where you where that was coming from. Um, so now to kind of pivot back to Black Ridge for a second, do you guys have any specific verticals that you focus in? It seems like your website, Industrial Internet of Things, is kind of more of a when it comes to IoT, is it seems to be a sweet spot for you guys. Is that accurate, or do you guys kind of uh, branch out into other areas, or are you looking to branch out into other verticals? So the the pedigree of the company is actually government and federal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have our programs uh, with the government um, using this technology. That's where the where the technology was born. Um, but we're very closely linked on the critical infrastructure side of IoT with the government because they have the same problems that we do. Um, it's all based on the same infrastructure and the same hardware, if you will, uh, that they built their networks on, like Power Grids, as an example. Uh, that you know the average power grid in in Boston's built on. So, so we're very much coupled with the government when it comes to a number of markets. The biggest one is critical infrastructure, so water, energy, transportation, telecommunication, IoT. So take that one aside. We also have a large advocacy in market in healthcare, uh, patient-based monitoring, uh, remote monitoring, uh, and hospital segmentation. Okay. And then we have an IT. Uh, commercial networking uh, business, which is quite large. We partner with Cisco uh, in that marketplace. Uh, It's more of your traditional IT networking um, uh, business. And then lastly, the area that um, I've been championing over the last uh, year or so is is automation. So factory process and building automation. Those markets are moving quickly. Uh, The reason why they're moving quickly is IP theft um, is a major issue. And Mm -hmm. also those GNX economic issues that I mentioned earlier. Very cool. That makes sense. So in the last week alone, there has been a new malware attack called Silex that I'm sure you've heard about. Um, It's breaking IoT devices and actually coincidentally, NIST and IST also released their IoT cybersecurity and privacy risk mitigation report. Um, As we can see, there's like an increase in the number of IoT devices and the sophistication of malware. How can consumers and the enterprise in particular, since you work in double IoT, protect themselves? Great question. So NIST, uh, specifically the NCCOE National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, uh, has released a number of documents. I highly recommend that you review some of these documents. One of them is um, ASP, so Apple Sam Peter 800-160. There's a series of papers there on IoT usage, what vendors are good or better uh, at IoT security than others. So I think it's really about education. Um, There's great resources at NIST um, to work with. And I know that they've taken a number of these um, issues specifically around uh, critical infrastructure that they're going to be working with. Um, We actually added some comments to a a project that I think will be kicked off uh, through NCCOE in the next few months around um, energy and renewable grids. Uh, We hope to be participating in that, although that selection process is not complete yet. But I do think um, these sorts of risks that we're starting to see Unfortunately, we know that there's going to be more than what we've just seen. Um, We know that currently our adversaries are retaliating um, with IoT or IIoT attacks, and that's going to continue, uh, unfortunately. 
So I think we're just actually seeing the tip of the iceberg. I think it's going to go a lot deeper than what you've currently seen. And unfortunately, one of the, the foresights that we've had um, in an article that I wrote recently are unfortunately coming true. This is becoming the way that you know countries are going to battle each other. More importantly, it's a way that adversaries are going to uh, uh, gain access to information and ultimately try to make that uh, lucrative in their behalf. So um, definitely information, education, and holding your suppliers accountable through their bill of materials process and their supply process. So without that accountability, connectivity becomes a, a huge issue for us all. Um, so I'm interested because we, something we've talked about on the podcast before um, with other cybersecurity um uh, professionals has been about IoT devices having known default credentials. Is that something that we can uh, protect ourselves against? Is there something that Blackridge helps with? What What is that? So that's something that, um, again, we have to hold these suppliers accountable. Um, that, that practice of default passwords and default admins or resets has got to stop. Um, it's, it's just a known adversary um, capability to use and exploit. And I think that um, until we, we sew up that window or door, if you will, uh, in a more meaningful way, like with multi-factor authentication before you're able to uh, enter a, an IoT device, uh, I think we're going to keep seeing this. So, uh, But to be clear, I want to make sure that we don't over-secure IoT devices where then they become not useful for the user. That's not that's not going to help us either. So my view there is through multi-factor authentication, I think that's a great way to, to still use your IoT device and make sure that you know, your admin passcodes or you know, default passwords as password um, can uh, make sure that they get uh, reset before a user can get at them uh, or more specifically an adversary can get at them thereafter. From like, um, I guess just a general listener standpoint, when people think about security, or at least cybersecurity, they're always thinking about what's next, you know, how creative are these hackers? What can they come up with? How does something, how, how like, does taking the proactive approach sounds wonderful, but is there anything to then be concerned about of like the new, you know, hack that somebody comes up with way to kind of infiltrate these devices that would you know, not like that any, I guess, security option, proactive or retroactive would not really help or is it something that that proactive approach really helps stop future attacks, things that maybe we have we're, we have been foreseen happening? Um, and kind of how should you just, you know, I guess from a general listener standpoint, think about that approach? Or how are you guys thinking about that, I guess? Yeah, we, we think about it economically. Um, what's the trade-off in terms of how much money do you spend to secure your IoT device versus um, not or um, thinking about what could come in the future? It really depends on the, the willingness to, to secure or pay, quite frankly. Um, it's a risk versus reward type system when it comes to IoT devices. And, and I think for, for consumer devices, I'll answer the question this way. We'll start with consumer. So a consumer device, you're kind of getting what you pay for and you sign up for some level of exposure or risk to your, to your um, information. You know, I can use... You know, a lot of the home devices, as an example, or, or uh, blood glucose monitor uh, that you know is connected to the internet, and quite frankly, not that secure. So, um, I think it's a risk-based um, decision that you need to make. There are appliances like ours um, that you can plug your device into using TAC ID, 
that takes the adversary's ability to see or penetrate that device. That's one way of doing this. Now, will it solve zero-day attacks that are already embedded in the device that we don't know about? It will from a standpoint that it will make sure that it doesn't behave badly in the network. But there are other adversaries and other ways that we're seeing cyber attacks like zero-day attacks and semiconductors um, that, uh, quite frankly, surprise us all. And we don't see those things coming. Um, and that is a very large undertaking, usually by a nation state. Um, but you and I aren't, aren't going to be their targets. Their targets are more government hard targets than they are, you know, a, a general IoT user. So uh, I think on the industrial side of things, that's where things get more interesting. Uh, definitely firms that, uh, or manufacturing firms or companies that are looking at connecting their uh, enterprises need to understand what their risk is, do the math around how much they can invest uh, and make sure that they have policies and rule engines to help them grow in the future as new security um, uh, vulnerabilities are found and they can adapt them from there. So that ability to be flexible, again, through policy and rule engine development and micro segmentation, using authenticated identity uh, as the basis or the bedrock of, of uh, your segmentation policies is the best way to go forward. And even the U.S. government, as well as DHS, has come out uh, in a recent U.S. government cert and said, without micro segmentation and understanding what east-west traffic looks like, you can't really have a security posture uh, or be able to whitelist in a zero trust environment. So, so all of that, all that being said, I think it starts with understanding what you're connecting, what the exposure rate is, uh, understanding what the, the largest threat vectors are and planning for those. Uh, I think it's definitely the 80, 20 rule when it comes to security in that, in that type of environment. So, um, but then there's always going to be the case that we just don't see some of these things coming like, some of the zero day attacks that you, you've seen in microprocessors in the last little while. Right, okay, awesome. So I wanna shift gears here for a second. There's a topic that um, Shan and I were discussing before this episode, and I think um, you'd be the perfect person to ask. Um, IT versus OT. Um, yes. Can you explain at a high level what IT versus OT is and how OT and IoT are kind of connected? Sure, that collision, I call it a collision, it's happening now. So I'll give you an example. If you're running a uh, bottling plant, as an example, and you're bottling whatever it might be, um, uh, a drink or a, a pharmaceutical, as an example, that that's an operational technology. That bottling plant is running X amount of bottles per, per hour, per week. Um, you have a payment program uh, to pay the employees of that plant, uh, which is based on an OT environment uh, or operational technology of a punch card system or a time-based system. So all of that output of that factory is now being connected to the IT networking system of your home office or your head office, as an example, elsewhere. That factory could be in Singapore, it could be in Malaysia, but now it's connected to the internet, but it's also connected to your IT systems, your finance systems, so that you can actually forward think about what is my throughput of that factory? Therefore, what are my sales going to be? How will I pay my people? What sort of resources do I need on the front end to bring in? I'm gonna do forecasting. Now I'm gonna start doing things like IOT analytics. I need to understand what my mean time between failure is, uh, when I'm gonna bring my plant down to do maintenance, et cetera. So you can do all those analytics and that's great. You're running a more efficient company. Your bottom line is, is um, benefiting from IOT. The problem though, that this is now created is that operational technology environment that could be sitting in Singapore 
has operators that have access now into your operational technology network, but because they have that and because it's connected to your IT network, they can go up and over into IT from OT and then down into you know, your financial systems from there and take things like your customer records, uh, social security numbers of your employees, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of your intellectual property. So the connected systems that we now have between operational technologies or OT or IOT are now connecting to IT infrastructure. And those two things are colliding <laughs> daily uh, and with such veracity um, that we're not able to connect or um, um, uh, conceal them as much as we would like to and uh, certainly secure them as much as we would like to. Gotcha. Very cool. Shannon? Do you think they'll converge at some point? They are. Uh, honestly, I don't, I look at firms now as, as connected enterprises, digitally connected enterprises. I don't, I actually don't see in, now this is more of an industrial view. Uh, on the commercial view, I, I think there's still an IOT type of environment where it's just you, the person connected to the internet with your information, it's a very closed loop system. Mm -hmm. But in, in industrial or more mainstay IT environments, there is no such thing as IT and OT anymore. If there is, your company is lagging behind everyone else. Um, operational technology has been here forever, like from four to 20 milliamp loops. Now it just happens to be connected from on-prem or air gap systems to the internet. And you don't really have a choice anymore. If you wanna be a competitive firm, you need to have that ability to understand what's going on in your operational technologies uh, in a meaningful way and, and use things like analytics. If you're not, you're not going to be competitive in this global environment. So I don't see any company as an IT opportunity or an OT opportunity. I see it as a technology that needs to happen and security from the user to the bottling plant operator uh, and everything in between needs to be holistically thought about. It needs to be segmented and it needs to be understood um, because firms just can't you know, air gap everything. It's just an, a technology that just doesn't work. We saw that with Stuxnet. We've seen it with other uh, issues around air gapping. So I, I, I think it's a great question. And my thought process is it's a connected enterprise. It doesn't matter on the IT or OT side. To me, it's irrelevant. I think the adversary is knocking on the door. They're looking for windows to look in and jump through um, either on the IT and the OT side. It just so happens right now, it is much easier, less costly and less sophisticated to go in from the OT environment versus the IT environment. Great. So as we kind of wrap up here, I guess one last um, question, two questions we have, but I'm going to converge them into one. Um, so when it comes to cybersecurity and privacy risks for IoT devices, obviously you want to protect device security, data security, uh, individuals' privacy, and so forth. But what are like the challenges in really achieving this? And how do you recommend or kind of what advice do you have for organizations going forward approaching securing their devices, whether they're new devices, devices already in the field, um, and you know that overall advice for the, the, the security approach as they kind of embark on an IoT deployment. Yeah, I think they, they need to understand um, the environment that their devices are going to be used, and they need to be thoughtful <clears throat> of how adversaries will use that device against the firm and against the firm's customers. So doing that in a meaningful, thoughtful way is something that takes leadership at the top of these companies. Uh, but it also takes the users, you and me, 
to hold them accountable and ask those questions as in, okay, I want to buy your device, but what happens if my, my information is, is stolen or what are you doing to protect my information? Those are reasonable questions that we all should be asking the hospitals, you know, our um, connected device insurance companies, as an example, um, and our energy grid companies to say, how are you protecting my information? Because it is my information. This is your, your person. This is your personal information. You own it. And you are giving these companies um, a, not a right, but a, um, a certain amount of power over you by giving it to them. And um, I think it's, it's within our rights to ask how they're using it and how they're securing it. And if you don't like the answer, tell them and move on and do something else because it is a real issue. And I think a lot of the firms and companies that are creating these IoT devices need to take security more in mind and be thoughtful about their supply chain. When I say their supply chain, not just their hardware, but where's the software coming from? Is there any free code in that software? So doing a real strong due diligence around where is my software coming from? What vulnerabilities are in it? Where my hardware coming from? What vulnerabilities uh, have been created in that type of environment and, and supply chain? And then putting all that together with a risk profile and then educating their customers on what that is, uh, I think is uh, where I think government policy needs to go. Uh, otherwise, I don't think we're going to get uh, the right rate of change that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think big insurance companies are starting to jump on that as well. But um, I'd like to see them hurry up because, again, it's you and me. It's our data. It's ultimately the ones that we uh, we're the ones that will suffer. So um, I think there's a lot of consumer advocacy that needs to come in play here, too. Absolutely. Shannon, anything else? No, I'm good. I, I'm, I still have in my mind because you uh, said that you built or made some of the sensors that we use, and I'm still super intrigued by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my background is, is um, creating and running uh, a sensor division at Analog Devices um, for a number of years, and uh, I've done that also with a Japanese company. And uh, sensing is, is what IoT is all about. It's that physical to digital transformation and then the, the digital transformation thereafter or the digital thread that gets created from that sensing ability is how we do our analytics and, um, and make sure that we make better decisions on the information that's, get, that's been created. So, so I think that, that this is the, the cool part about this technology is that it's just beginning. Um, keeping the world analog and, and trying to understand that analog world in digital terms and then doing efficient and intelligent things with it, uh, I think is really exciting. Uh, it's super fun and, and data analytics have come a long way, but we're just at the beginning of this. This is the great part about this um, and your podcast and everything that you've been doing. Uh, we're just at the beginning. So we're going to learn a lot. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. But at the end of the day, safety is now part of cybersecurity. And with great connectivity, we need great responsibility. And that starts with you and me. And it also starts with holding these, these firms accountable. Yeah, it's a great point. Great way to end it. I think that's something that obviously until you just said it on the podcast, not many people, you know, at least in our world, have really been talking about the safety side. So that's a very important piece to uh, to keep in mind. Um, so, yeah, other than that, I don't think we have too much else. Uh, it'd be great if you could maybe leave with, you know, if anybody had some follow up questions or comments, what's the best way to engage with you or your company um, after the episode and when it airs? You bet. Uh, I can be found uh, online. Please look me up on LinkedIn uh, and uh, our blackridge.us uh, website. Uh, I'll give you guys my email address. Please contact me directly. I, I, I like feedback from um, podcast listeners uh, with questions, and um, I'll leave my email with you folks, and you can post that as well. Uh, please contact me directly and 
a direct response. Perfect. We appreciate your time. Um, really enjoyed having you on. I learned a lot. Uh, I know Shannon's definitely more of an enthusiast about cybersecurity yes. than I am because it's just sometimes it goes over my head. But this is actually, you put a lot of stuff into, into good context for, for someone like me who's maybe not the most heavily technical person to understand. So I really appreciate you doing that. I think our audience will appreciate it. Um, but other than that, yeah, thanks again. We hope to have you on sometime in, in the future. Uh, and, um, and you know, thanks, thanks for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's a great opportunity for us to, uh, to educate the listeners and, um, and move this forward. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the IoT for All podcast with our guest, Michael Murray of Blackridge Technology. Hope you found it interesting as I did. I thought it was really good. Um, good conversation around cybersecurity, something that I'm continuing to learn more and more about. Um, what I've been doing lately is leaving you guys with a few key points that I thought were really interesting to take away in addition to many other things that I'm sure you all found very fascinating here. Um, the first is the proactive versus reactive approach that Blackridge takes. Um, I think just from a high level, when we think about cybersecurity, we assume that that's already being done. But in most cases, it actually is waiting for something to happen before um, they're able to fix and stop it from happening again. Not to say there's not already some intro or basic level of security already on um, devices, but they really have this proactive approach and really trying to make things as secure as possible from the get-go so that nobody can get in there and, and do anything harmful to the devices or the people who interact with devices, which ties into my second point, which is when he brings up safety in IoT and that cyber-physical security conversation um, that's really creating its own narrative now. He talks about this, I think, around at the 24-and-a-half-minute mark. Um, basically, you know, he asks... You know, is cybersecurity part of safety or is safety part of cybersecurity when you start thinking about physical um, and, and, and large infrastructure being built? But now, because with these devices, there's a human on the other end that are touching these devices, so hacking into them um, can be detrimental to the lives of people. So he talks a lot about that um, around that 24-and-a-half-minute mark that I think is really worth noting because sometimes we're not thinking about that in the context of IoT now when it comes to security. And finally... Um, basically wanted to kind of recap his advice for, for taking a security approach or when you're thinking about an IoT deployment, what you should be thinking about regarding security. So really understanding the environment in which the devices will be used and being thoughtful and trying to think through how an adversary will or could use those devices against your organization or your organization's customers. Um, so consumers and the users of these devices need to be asking these questions about how devices are secured before they use them and really challenge this to hopefully push that agenda to get things, um, you know, working in a way that, that is as safe as possible. But other than that, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, please, if you wouldn't mind and you enjoyed it, leave a rating or review on whichever platform you're listening to us on. It really helps us understand, you know, what you guys like, what you guys don't like, how we can adjust things. And it also lets us know that you're a fan and helps other people find it, which is pretty cool. Um, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. It allows you to kind of get the episodes at the moment they go live. We're trying to pump out one new episode every week. Um, so we're working really hard to do that. So any kind of support you guys can show by subscribing means a lot to us as well. Um, but other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. We look forward to having you listen to our future episodes. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoyed this one with Michael Murray of Blackridge Technology.